Matthew, this apostle of the Lord Jesus, who last week we saw being called to faith and discipleship, he is presenting to us this thorough and comprehensive insight into all that Christ revealed about himself during his earthly ministry. And here we're in this first part of Christ's ministry amongst his own people up in the north of Palestine, all in the vicinity of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus certainly will have visited Jerusalem many times. He'll have done that to attend important annual feasts, like that occasion that we read of when he was just 12 years old in Luke chapter 2 when he went down for the Passover feast. But since his baptism by John the Baptist, Jesus hasn't really yet wandered very far away from his hometown of Nazareth. Nazareth lies to the west and slightly south of Galilee. And Capernaum, where he's now based himself, that's up on the northwestern tip of that very large lake. To walk from Nazareth to Capernaum will probably take two days. But in terms of walking around that area, that's not that very far away. And not so far from the place where he grew up. Most of his ministry is concentrated at the moment in that region of Galilee. The truths which have been brought to our attention most recently in our study of this gospel are that Jesus has the power and authority not just to heal and not even to simply declare that someone's sins are forgiven, but he himself is the one who does the forgiving of sins because he is God. Last week we saw Jesus demonstrate that it is for sinners that he came into the world so that he might call them to repentance. He's come to be their salvation for them, for you. Now in terms of the physical miracles that Jesus has done so far, well, we can but marvel at the, the authority that even his spoken word carries. But surely, of all the miracles that anyone might perform, surely the most remarkable and the most wonderful would be that someone who has died could be brought back to life. Of all the physical miracles that Jesus would do, could do, might do, wouldn't that be the greatest of all? That someone dead could be restored again to life? That the grief and agony of so great a loss could be overturned? What a thing that would be. Well, we continue in the ninth chapter of Matthew from verse 18. Um, we have these three different situations. Uh, two of them are intertwined um, from verse 18 down to verse 26, and then we have a separate scene brought to us at verse 27. And I want us to consider three things this morning from those three different things that take place in those verses. And the first of, the, first of them is this, what trusting faith in Jesus looks like. What does trusting faith in Jesus look like? 
Well, we're told a ruler came. Verse 18, Mark and Luke tell us that this man's name was Jairus. He's the ruler of the synagogue. Now, there were many, many synagogues, and he was the ruler of one of them. He's a devout Jew. Uh, This position that he held would make him a man of fairly considerable social standing. There is some slight variation between the different gospel accounts of this event that took place. Mark and Luke tell us that this 12-year-old girl is at the point of death, and that whilst Jairus is with Jesus, news comes through that she has indeed died. Well, Matthew comes in at that point when the girl has just died. My daughter has just died. What's common across all these three accounts is that Jairus comes to Jesus fully persuaded, not merely that Jesus is his last hope. Jairus hasn't come to Jesus with Jesus as last chance saloon. Jairus comes to Jesus believing that he will be able to save his daughter, rescue his daughter from death. Come and lay your hand on her and she will live, he says. And Jesus responds to this man's faith. Jairus comes to Jesus, and this is his heart, this is his conviction. That which I need you to do for me, you can do, you will do, if you will but come and respond to my call. That is trusting faith. But as they start out, this unnamed woman who's been suffering so terribly for 12 long years, has also come at that same hour to Jesus. Now, in some respects, this lady might find herself at the opposite end of the social scale to Jairus, if not least because of the condition that she's suffering. This woman's bleeding would mean that according to Old Testament law, she is unclean. This would have some considerable limiting effect on her life. It would prevent her from attending public worship. Uh, Just as a little aside, one of the things I I found interesting, I haven't actually worked all this out in my own mind yet, but in all the discussion around COVID precautions and all that kind of stuff. In the Bible, we find health and safety laws which require people to go into isolation and which even prevent them from attending a place of worship. And depending upon what your illness was, that could mean that you would be in isolation for the rest of your life, especially if you had something like leprosy. You would spend all of your life in self-isolation. You would be prevented from attending worship for the rest of your life. And interestingly, those health and safety laws were not the invention of misinformed men. They were the direction from God. It's just, find it interesting. Just leave that with you. But what a bleak, miserable existence this poor woman's endured for 12 years. 12 years. It seems perhaps 
She can't even bear the thought of drawing attention to herself. But instead, in the midst of the crowd, she anonymously just stretches out her hand just to touch his clothing. Now, what's going through this woman's mind? Is she thinking, well, I've tried everything else. What have I got to lose? Is she thinking to herself, well, things can't get any worse? No. No. If only I may touch his garment, verse 21, I shall be made well. That is trusting faith. This is trusting faith, you see. If I, he will. And if he will, it is done. That's the kind of faith which saves. To simply come to Christ in the state of helplessness and hopelessness that you're in. Knowing this, in this Jesus, is the answer I need. And we note that Jairus came in a posture and attitude of worship, verse 18. Humble submission before Christ. This is trusting faith. And then there's the two blind men at verse 27. Son of David. Now, that's a title of the Messiah. The one promised to King David the one who would usher in an everlasting kingdom and who would reign eternally. That's who they're referring to. And Jesus responds to that call. Jesus doesn't turn around and say, who on earth are you talking about? Jesus doesn't rebuke them for using that title about him. Son of David! And unlike the previous two examples we've seen, on this occasion, Jesus responds to them with a question. You see it there in verse 28. Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord, Lord. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on in these two men. And I don't know exactly how God is at work in these two men, but it seems to me that there's a wonderful work of grace taking place in these two. For them to be able to address Jesus in this way and for them to be able to affirm such trusting faith in this one who they see, this is the son of David. This is the man who we must address as Lord what could they see? What did they know and understand? At least this. This is the man who is like no other man. Jairus knew it. This woman knew it. These two blind men knew it. This is the man in whom I must place all my trust. This is the man who I know will not disappoint me. These are the lessons Amongst lessons that Matthew longs for you to see in this Jesus. Are you seeing them? Are you seeing him as Matthew wants you to see him? As Matthew presents him to you on the page of Scripture? Are you understanding 
who this Jesus is. It seems to me that these four people did. But do you? This is trusting, saving faith in Christ and in no other, because there really is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which you must be saved. He alone can save you. He alone can help you. And as we see, when it's real trusting faith in Christ, this trusting faith, secondly, is never disappointed. When people come to Christ with trusting faith like this, understanding in their hearts at least something of who this man truly is, that kind of faith is never disappointed because that kind of faith is never turned away. Now we see that when Jairus comes to Jesus, there's an immediate response at verse 19. Jesus arose. He responds to the faith that Jairus is expressing. And yet, there's a helpful lesson in the story with Jairus, isn't there? Because there is a delay in reaching the girl. Because Jesus pauses to deal with the woman. Now, we can perhaps imagine the great potential for frustration and anger in Jairus. Yes, yes, come on, come on, never mind her. What about my daughter? Now, of course, nothing of that nature is actually recorded in the Bible. But we can perhaps imagine that if that was me, that would be my heart. Come on, come on, there's no time to lose. But we learn this, you see. Despite the delay, because sometimes there are delays, sometimes we are required to wait a while. But still, Despite the delay, his trust in Christ will not be disappointed. Sometimes there are delays. Sometimes the time scale is not as we would choose. But trusting faith in Christ will still never be disappointed. And when Jesus finally arrives at Jairus' house, all of the traditional cultural mourning and lamenting is in full swing. She's dead. But still, his trust in Christ is not going to be disappointed. There are those who are there who pour out their scorn and their ridicule upon Jesus. What kind of sick joke is this to suggest that the girl is only asleep? The situation's hopeless, Jairus. The situation is beyond recovery. What is he going to do for you now? But his trust in Christ will not be disappointed. Jesus simply has to take her by the hand. And we're told in other gospel accounts, he simply says to her, little girl, get up. Little girl, get up. And she does. And his trust in Christ is not disappointed because it's Christ he's trusting. And with Jesus, 
even the dead are raised to life. And what of the woman who's been left? Well, she's rejoicing now that 12 long years of abject misery are over. He stopped for her. It was only the gentlest of touches, perhaps, but that's all that was needed. She had no words. It may well be she, she just could not possibly bring herself to voice publicly the, the sorrow, the pain, the distress that she was in. Certainly not the shame and embarrassment of the condition that she was suffering. But she didn't need to say a word. Just a touch with a heart of faith. And she's not disappointed. And the response of Christ is so wonderful. You can be very glad today. Daughter. Wow, daughter. Such love, such grace, such compassion, such mercy. Your faith has made you well. Because you came to me, you are well. Because you trusted in me, you now are well. And it may only have been a touch of my garment, but it was to me you came. It was me you touched. With faith. That's all that was needed. And to come to Christ, even if you can't find the words to reach out, to touch Him, to acknowledge in your own soul the depth of your need. When you do that, when you come to Christ like that, you will never be disappointed. So for some of you this morning, why will you not come? Why have you not yet come to Christ like this? When you come to Him, you will in no way be cast out. Why will you not seek Him? You may not have the words, but in your heart, in believing and reaching out and touching Him, is enough. He knows. Do you remember from our study in Romans that inward working of the Holy Spirit as we groan on the inside? It's, that's enough. He knows. And He won't leave you disappointed. Perhaps for some of you, even though blind, like these two men, you're already beginning to see this is the Messiah. This is the Son of David. This is the one to whom I need to cry out for mercy. Do you believe? Yes, Lord, I believe. Well, if you do, tell him, declare it. <clears throat> however you come, however you call, Jesus responds to trusting faith. And he'll respond to you this morning, if you will but trust him. Take hold of him as Savior and Lord. Come to him like these people do in this section, like everyone has that Matthew brings to us here. 
Come to him exactly as you are, in all of your need, in all of your despair, in all your anxiety, yes, in all of your sin, and take hold of Christ as Saviour and Lord. Faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is never disappointed. He's full of truth and grace, and he abounds in mercy and loving kindness. The poor woman receiving instant healing of this bleeding. The two blind men having their eyes opened the moment Christ sanctioned it. And although Jairus had to wait, because Jesus was to attend to these other people in his own time and in his own way, and because these people were actually going to witness something even greater than rescuing the girl from death's door, he would permit her to go through the door and then bring her back out again. How wonderful is that? All he had to do was touch her hand. Just as it was the moment the woman touched his clothes. All was immediately made well for those who come to him by faith. So Paul in Romans in chapter 10 he says this, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, trusting faith in Christ. With the heart you believe unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's no more to be done. The scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your culture, whatever it is. For the same Lord is over all and is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. Because trusting faith in Christ is never disappointed. There's just one final thing that I want to mention from these verses that we have open in front of us this morning. These miracles offer a picture of what Jesus will do for you. Now, the signs and wonders that are performed by the Lord Jesus, and which for a time later on were also done by his apostles, these things were all being done for a very important reason. They were attesting signs. They were confirming signs. They were validating signs. They were authenticating signs. They were proof that these things are of God. They were proof that everything that is being promised spiritually in the gospel is true and can be trusted. How do we know that the sins of that paralyzed man the other week really were forgiven? Because Jesus demonstrated beyond all doubt his power and authority in the physical realm. And Jesus did within the physical realm that which only God can do to show us that he is able to do in the spiritual realm that which only God can do. And you'll remember that with that man, Jesus attended to his spiritual need first. 
because that is of far greater importance and consequence. And it's our spiritual need which the gospel addresses down through the generations. So for us today, the kinds of miraculous signs and wonders which are so frequently mentioned in the gospels and in the early part of the the history of the early church, well, things like that are hardly ever seen today. One good reason why they're hardly ever seen is because God no longer equips men and women to perform such deeds like that, like he did in New Testament days. That's not to say that God himself can't do the miraculous, but that is for him to determine today. That is for him to perform today, as and when he may choose to do so. But these physical healings that we see recorded in the Bible, they act as pointers in a way regarding the spiritual healing and restoration that we are in need of. And it's the spiritual healing and restoration that's the most important thing. We need to be careful not to try and read too much into these things, but in a broad general sense, there are some parallels between the physical healings that Jesus did and the spiritual healing and restoration that he brings. Physical sickness in general can act as a helpful illustration of our sinful condition. So here is this young girl, the daughter of Jairus. Now, we don't know what it was that was wrong with her. Neither, perhaps, did the people in in her home at the time, but they knew this. Whatever the issue was, it was about to take her life. And indeed it did. And our sin is like that. We were made to live in fellowship with God forever. But our sins have brought the penalty of death upon us. Physical death, yes, but also spiritual death. Death which separates us from God. Death which eventually will lead to everlasting punishment and torment. The call of the gospel is to acknowledge before God your desperate position and your desperate need, just like Jairus did regarding his daughter. The Bible calls us to do that for ourselves in terms of our sins. That you see in Christ your only hope of being saved being saved from death and destruction. The Bible tells you, in fact, that you are already dead in your sins. You are as dead spiritually as that little girl was physically when Christ came to her. What can be done for that girl? Well, she can't do anything about it. Jairus can't do anything about it. One thing can be done by one man. Little girl, get up. New life is imparted. The dead are raised. And that's what Christ does for us within our soul. 
He only had to touch her. New life coursed through her body. And just a touch from the Saviour brings new life and new birth to the sinner. And the sinner, once dead in sins, is made alive in Christ, because of Christ, through Christ. Life renewed and transformed for those who come to Christ in faith. Have you come to him? Have you received this new life which is promised? Jesus, the name to sinners dear, the name to sinners given. It scatters all their gloomy fear. It turns their hell to heaven. He speaks. And listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful, broken hearts rejoice. The humble, poor believe. Is that you? Physical illness shows us in a, is a picture that we need cleansing from our sins. That poor woman had a physical condition which rendered her unclean. She was cut off and isolated from so many things as a result of it. How much more do our sins separate us from God? His eyes being too pure to look upon us in our sins. Such is our filth before him. His, his righteous anger and condemnation being upon us because of our sins. And like her, we are helpless to cleanse ourselves. And no matter wherever else you may turn, you will still find yourself in the same condition, just as she had after 12 long years. How many doctors has she been to? How many remedies has she tried? And as no one but Christ could help her, none but Christ alone can help you in your sin, but help you he can. In him there is cleansing and forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health, and peace, for here, for here, life, health, peace, where it really matters. Oh, that the world might taste and see the riches of his grace, the arms of love that compass me. Do you think Jairus knew what it was to be embraced by the loving arms of Christ and that little girl? Do you think that woman knew what it was to be embraced by the arms of Christ? That the arms of love that compass me would all mankind embrace. And our problem is that our sins are so great in our sinfulness, we can't actually see the need that we have. Our sinful hearts are blinded to these truths. Satan, we read, blinds our minds to the things of God and the gospel. You do not see, you cannot see. 
in your sins. You cannot think the way you need to think. You cannot work this gospel message out in your deadness of sin. It makes no sense to you in your sin. It offends you in the truths that it wishes to impress upon you. It confronts your pride so that for many it only causes them to harden their hearts even more against it. You don't come to the conclusion about yourself that you need to come to. You don't come to the conclusion about Christ that you need to come to. But then God begins to work. And God begins to do something wonderful. And something wonderful begins to happen within you, as must have been happening within those two blind men, because of the way they cry out to Christ. How on earth did they know that the correct thing to do was to address Jesus as the son of David? How did they know that they needed to approach him by asking for mercy and to address him as Lord? I wonder if even they could have told us or explained to us how that came to be if we'd been able to ask them, but they did. Faith has entered their hearts, just as it had for Jairus, just as it had for the woman. And faith, faith confirmed by Jesus himself. He says it, your faith has made you well. And faith, the scripture tells us, is the gift of God. It's not something we work up for ourselves. It's not something we work out for ourselves. It's something God imparts inside of us. I think those two men had long... Those two men had begun to see long before their physical eyes were opened. That's often how it is. Maybe there are some here this morning, and that's what, that's what God is doing in you right now, and you know it. You know that he's beginning to make you see and understand. You know that these truths are true. Perhaps you've not yet given yourself to them. Perhaps you've not yet submitted yourself to Christ and to the truths that we see here. But there's something going on inside of you. And you know. You know. Oh, that God would finally open your eyes to see. To see yourself in your sin. And to see the Savior of men in all of his truth and grace and beauty and majesty. And that you would turn to him in trusting faith acknowledge him believe on him trust in him cry out to him for mercy touch him maybe that's all you feel you can do right now just to touch him it's enough or to plead with him for healing and cleansing forgiveness for life christ stands ready to save trust him because those who put their faith in Christ are never disappointed with Jesus even the dead are raised to life even you even me we may be raised to newness of life in Christ he is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him will you trust him even today, that you in him may live.